from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. Not in the Fox 8 studios, but close enough to the Fox 8 studios. This is Overtime, the podcast, alongside Juan Kincaid and Sean Pizan and John Bennett holding it all together. I'm Chris Hagan, and today we are talking NFC South. We'll also talk Joe Burrow, his rookie expectations in Cincinnati, and we will get to some of your questions. But first, a quick request and reminder, please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, tell your friends, help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, you know where to go. Final Play app, Tiger Huddle app, pulling up some of those questions now. But guys, let's get to it with the NFC South. Look, we saw the Saints um, go for quality over quantity. Um, they take Cesar Ruiz, an interior offensive lineman, Zach Vaughn, a linebacker from Wisconsin, who they had graded much higher than the third round, but that's where he falls to at 74. And then Adam Troutman, the tight end, not to mention adding Tommy Stevens late in the seventh round. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because, as Jeff Duncan reported with The Athletic, mm-hmm. that was a really interesting backstory that it tells you where the Saints and Sean Payton are right now in terms of competitiveness. But uh, let's start with the NFC South, like I said. Guys, um, looking at not just the draft, but what else the guys have, what else the other teams have done, the Bucks adding Tom Brady the Panthers with Teddy Bridgewater. Juan, I'll start with you. Who do you think poses the biggest threat to the Saints going for a fourth straight division title? I think that's an easy call. I think it's uh, obviously Tampa Bay. I think when you look at their football team, you had Tom Brady. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time, and some would say he's the best quarterback to ever play the game. He's obviously the most clutch guy to ever play the game to winning all the Super Bowls. Um, you add him to the mix, and he brings in his favorite tight end, Gronkowski. And, of course, they re-signed their tight end a couple of days ago. So I just think Tampa Bay, offensively speaking, are maybe the top offense in the NFL. For me, I feel like they're definitely the top offense in the NFC South with the Saints a very close second. I just think when you bring that kind of talent into Tampa Bay, uh, and look, Tom Brady didn't have a lot to work with in New England last year. He's got a lot of weapons on offense mm-hmm. to work with in Tampa. So I think they are right now, in my opinion, the odds on favorite to win the division and, and, you know, maybe get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I still think it's Tampa Bay. I agree with you there, Juan. Um, that team is loaded with talent. I mean, they've had it for a while now. I mean, that team is loaded with talent and name a skill, name a skill position. And they added Rob Gronkowski. So uh, I absolutely agree that it's Tampa Bay. That's the biggest threat to the Saints in the NFC South crown. I don't quite believe they have a, the, the roster is quite as balanced as the Saints roster, um, offensively, defensively, special teams. So that's why I still give the nod to the Saints. Um, Bruce Arians is obviously a great coach. He's had success wherever he's gone. Um, but Sean Payton has had a whole lot of success here as well. I would also just throw out, you know, last year there was this feeling in the Saints locker room whenever they played Atlanta that to a man, they felt like that team was way more talented than their record. And if you look at the game post-bye week, uh, they really handled the Saints. It was the worst game of the season as far as I'm concerned. So uh, Atlanta, there was obviously a Thanksgiving night game as well. So Atlanta, to me, if they could somehow figure it out, there's talent on that roster as well, and they could somehow stay healthy and perhaps Matt Ryan finds a little bit more consistency. That's a team you have to watch. I think Carolina's a little bit more in rebuilding mode, and I think they're acting like a team that's in rebuilding mode. So they're not necessarily out to uh, win a division this year. I think there are – they're more for, you know, building for, you know, the future. So I would, I would go Tampa Bay. I wouldn't sleep on Atlanta, but I still think the Saints are the class of the NFC South. Yeah, I think it's a situation where, 
you know, if you look at uh, the rest of the teams and if everybody lives up to their potential, then certainly this could be uh, the best division in football. It, it could be very reminiscent of what we saw from the NFC West last year when you talk about um, the Rams being in the playoff hunt, not quite getting there. Uh, when you talk about the Seahawks that won double-digit games but were still a wild card. And then obviously the, the 49ers should go to a Super Bowl. I think um, the Saints, like Sean said, I agree. I think they're the favorite just because um, of their, their recent history, because of their depth. Um, but you can't sleep on the Bucks. And look, if it if it comes down to one team being twelve and four, one team being eleven five, thirteen and three, twelve and four, like these division games are going to matter. I think every single game is going to matter. I think this is uh, a season where everybody's going to go the distance. I don't I don't see anybody winning this division outright before you know week fifteen or sixteen. I think it's a matter of um, being able to to stand the test of time um, in this division. And, and like Sean said too, Atlanta is a team that. You know, offensively, they are just as talented as any team in the league. So I would argue and say right now, uh, best division in football, just on paper. So a, three a couple race. years ago, all three teams got into the playoffs. Wasn't that, was it 2017? Yeah. Yep, it was 17. All three teams got into the playoffs. So it's not crazy to suggest that three teams from the NFC South can get in, especially when you talk about, I mean, the quarterback play all of a sudden, I mean, has really – when you bring in Tom Brady into the mix all and you look at the Saints quarterback room and we already talked about Matt Ryan and Teddy Bridgewater obviously being an upgrade over what Carolina had to deal with last year. I mean, just the quarterback play alone makes this division the most competitive and also just the most interesting just in terms of quarterbacks obviously drive the league. And this is, to me, the best quarterback division in football. I think the challenge to uh, having three teams in this division in the playoffs – uh, is looking over at the NFC West. You look at teams like San Fran and Seattle, and, and um, I just think I think the NFC to me is the best is the best league and uh, best conference in football, um, far and away above the AFC. Now, now that Brady has kind of moved down to that that side of, uh, of the AFC, so can three teams make the make the playoffs? Yeah, probably so. Especially since you're adding an extra team now, that helps a little bit. But um, you know, Atlanta, as much talent as they've had over the years, for whatever the reason is, whether it be coaching or poor offensive uh, coordinator co calls, they haven't been able to put it together, whatever the reason. It's just been a real bit of disappointment. So I, 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 I feel like they still have plenty of offense there, but I don't think they, they, they hold a candle to the Saints or to, uh, to Tampa Bay. And I think head coaching and play calling is probably the biggest reason why. Um, you know, I remember listening to Bruce Arians talk about Jameis Winston, who's now with the Saints, and saying, you know, he was asked the question, <clears throat> could you win with another quarterback? And he's like, we, we won with this quarterback. Talking about Jameis throwing 30 and 30. Uh, now he's got a guy, Tom Brady, who's not going to throw those stupid interceptions. And he's got way more talent this year than he had probably the last five years as a whole in, in New England. So I just, I just think that, you know, when you look at, obviously experience matters and not making the stupid mistakes matters. And I, I think Tom and Tom Brady, you don't have those problems anymore in Tampa. And to a man, I mean, I think Tampa has more offensive offensive weapons than what the saints do. So it's going to be fun to watch. And I agree. I, th I think this is the best division in football. Now, if Atlanta holds up their end of the bargain and I don't want to write off Carolina too much because I think, you know, we're going to really get to see what Teddy Bridgewater can do as a starter once again over the whole 16, 17 weeks, if that's how many weeks they play in the NFL. Uh, we're going get to get to see 
if there's enough offense. They, they went all defense in the drafts. So that tells you where uh, Matt Rule's focus was this football team and where they needed to get better. Um, but I, I think they're going to be a team that's going to be difficult to beat. Um, I think they're going to be a team that's going to pull some surprises. Yeah, they're the worst, probably the worst team in the, NF, in, in, in the NFC South, but I think they can still beat the Saints and they can still beat um, – beat the, the Bucks in, in, um, in Atlanta. Um, so I wouldn't, wouldn't write them off so quickly because I think they've got a good thing going there, especially with McCaffrey, as good as he is. You mentioned Jameis Winston there for a second, Juan, and I want to touch on that for a second. I, I know we've talked about him a lot this week and obviously signing with the Saints, but it's so interesting now that you mentioned um, his interceptions and how the end of last year played out because as the season went along, especially toward the end of the year, there was all this talk about, are the Bucks going to bring him back? And Bruce Arians seemed rather confident that Jameis could be back, either tagged or, um, you know, on some sort of prove-it deal, something like that. But then not soon after he says that, you look at the last two weeks of the year and Jameis Winston uh, against the Texans throws four interceptions. He throws two more um, against Atlanta in his last game of the year. And Prior to that, they'd won four straight games. So, like, mm-hmm. how much did those last two games just affect what we see now and the fact that Jameis was able to leave Tampa Bay and come to the Saints as who we believe is the best backup in the NFL now? Well, it's the lasting impression in, 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 uh, in Tampa Bay. And Bruce Arians is, is, was less of uh, let's look at the entire body of work for the season and looking at, you know, how are we finishing the season? Uh, in a season that's been a struggle. And if, I, if, I num- if our number one guy, quarterback, is not finishing on a high and giving us something positive to look forward to next season, then I've got to figure out the, the, I've got to figure out the head of the snake here. I've got to figure out – I've got to make a different move. And I think it's when – I think Aaron was just done with it. You know, think about having to deal with a guy that's in his fifth year in the league and he's throwing 33 interceptions uh, – 30 interceptions in the season. And the, the, the decision – and I think even more the decision-making from Jameis was, was the problem for Arians. Um, you just didn't – you feel like, like at year number five in the league, his decision-making should be a lot further along and a lot better. The game should be more comfortable for him. I mean, the fact that we're hearing about him needing LASIK surgery because he doesn't – can't read a license plate on I mean, it, that's ridiculous. I mean, and why is it taking five years for – that's not a problem that just develops. Why is it taking five years to make that correction for Jameis? So um, I think things like that are, are things that head coaches don't want to have to deal with. And in Brady and Breeze – even in Bridgewater, uh, most other quarterbacks that have been in, year, in league five-plus years, you don't have those stupid things that you would expect from a guy that's been in the league one or two years. And in Jameis, I mean, I think the maturity level, the eating the Ws, and, and the, you know, just so many things that a veteran quarterback should not be doing, he's doing. And I, I just think it, it got old in Tampa. I just think Jameis's game got old in Tampa. Um, can he turn that around with the Saints? I don't know how much him being here for one year and being in the Saints locker room is going to help. It sh- certainly won't hurt. Uh, but is he, is he an even more attractive starting quarterback option when he's done with the Saints after next year, if he's done with the Saints after one year? I don't know. You can't, you can't judge that. Will he get on the field with the Saints? I think it's the most important thing. Will he get to play on the field? Will we get to see him uh, improve on the field based on what he's learned in the Saints locker room? We all doubt that. We don't expect Drew Brees to get hurt. He doesn't have a history of that. And – I mean, I, and I think there's a lot more questions about Jameis's game going forward and what kind of quarterback he can be uh, going forward. Is he going to be a, a full-time starter again? I, I really don't know if that's going to happen. And I'm not, not sure if teams going to take a chance on him with that. Yeah, well, clearly they didn't for at least this offseason because he didn't have any other offers other than the, 
the, the, the more lucrative offer supposedly um, was it the Steelers? They yeah, said they yeah. made him an offer. Um, so this year he wasn't going to get that opportunity next year. Who knows? But you mentioned something interesting is that, you know, when it came to Jameis, I mean, Jameis, if we, when we see him in training camp and in preseason and he probably light it up. I mean, everything you need to know about Jameis is it's high ceiling, low floor. So any, it's, it's all over the place. Whereas yeah. you know, Teddy Bridgewater was, in my opinion, high floor, low ceiling. So his good is great. Winston, I'm talking about his bad is, is awful. Um, so it really boils down to on field decision-making and, Regardless of what we see in practice or in preseason, we have to see the improvement with him very tangibly on the field in the regular season for an extended period of time. Does he get that opportunity? Saints, probably not in 2020 should Drew Brees stay healthy. Now in 2021, we'll see what happens. I mean, who knows what the market's going to dictate at that time because obviously he would be a free agent after 2020. So there's so many layers to the Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill dynamic and the signing and what could be, what couldn't be. If anyone is, is certain he's the future, I, I would probably pump the brakes on that. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily just put all my eggs into the Taysom Hill basket either. So there's a lot of wait and see with both those guys. With Taysom, it's what we haven't seen on the field. With Jameis, it's what we have seen on the field that gives us calls <laughs> for both guys. So, um, you, you know, but that's 2021. We're still in 2020 right now, and this 2020 Saints team, to me, is loaded and ready to go. Well, I want to talk about one of those layers real quick before we, we move on to Joe Burrow. Um, this is a question from George in Metairie. Mm-hmm. He asks, why are you looking at Jameis Winston as an insurance policy? If the Saints can turn him around, there could be competition for the number one QB job if Breeze retires. You guys both, I think, hit on it a little bit here, but what are the chances that we see – um, Jameis competing for the number one job. I do think, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, that this will be Bree's last season. But um, even with the commitment to Taysom Hill, uh, what are the chances, Juan, that this becomes a quarterback competition because Jameis might show the Saints enough to say, we've got a 26, 27-year-old guy that could be the future of our team? And Kate the contrarian coming in here. Um, and I, I think I've been very consistent with this over the last two years that I just don't think that um, Taysom Hill will be a full-time starting quarterback in the NFL ever. I don't. I just think there's too many. And, and this is another example. Listen, I know that they put a little financial commitment into Taysom, but you don't bring in a quarterback of Jameis's ability without the thought mm-hmm. of, you know what, if we can turn this guy around, Maybe he could be our starter here. We can keep Taysom in the role that he's most effective with our football team. That's where my head's at. I believe, I think that's where Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis' head is as well. It's very minimal investment financially. You can see what this kid's got. You can get inside of his head a little bit and find out how he thinks, how he works, how he ticks. Get him on the field. He hasn't lost the ability to throw the ball. He just makes bad decisions. So maybe you help him with his decision-making. He learns from the Drew Brees. And in a year's time, even, even Jameis would not say – one way or the other on what he would commit to the Saints long term. He said, let's wait, let's get to that point and see what happens. And so I am all on board with the thought of this may be more than a one year term from for Jameis playing with the Saints and being with his football team. It all depends on what happens to Drew next year. If Drew comes back another year for the second year of his contract, then Jameis is out the door. I get it. But if he doesn't, then absolutely you got a quarterback battle there. And that battle will be taking place in the practices for the, for the, during the season. And, and in Jameis's case, he hopes he gets on the field um, at some point. Um, that would 
take a breeze getting hurt, obviously. Uh, so we don't want that. But I just think that, you know, you, you, every move that you make, every move that Sean Payton makes is a reason behind it. And I think the reason behind this is to, to kick the tires in this car and see if it, it can still run pretty well once we give it a bit of a tune-up in our shop. Yeah, I think there's a, certainly an opportunity or a chance at some point in 2021 should Drew Brees retire um, and Taysom Hill is, uh, is, is, is the guy under contract and um, you, you have a chance to bring back Jameis Hill at that point. I mean, Jameis Hill, Jameis Winston at that point. Um, and perhaps have, <laughs> well, combined, uh, He's combined. Of, they're right, a superhero. Some of, Captain some Planet a, at quarterback. <laughs> some form of a, uh, of, a, of a quarterback competition. Um, I would say, look, in Jameis's case, uh, if you ask me right now, would I have trust in him to be the franchise quarterback? I would say no. I need to see more. Um, in Taysom Hill's case, do I have trust in him to be the full-time quarterback? I would say probably not. I need to see more. So absolutely, at some point, 2020 is going to be interesting because we don't know the development of Taysom Hill, where he's at as a true quarterback. I've long said what we need to see is him in the preseason with the first team truly running the offense to see where he is truly at as a quarterback for this team. We haven't seen it uh, in Jameis Winston's case. To me, like I said before, it's all about, it's all about what he does when it matters on the field. That was, that's always been Jameis's issue is on the field. It's high risk, high reward. He's got to lower that risk a little bit to gain some more trust. So I think there are questions for both guys. So it would be foolish to say, well, one guy's got the inside track for the starting job in 2021 because, frankly, we don't know because both guys have enough doubt on their resume to make you wonder. And I didn't even think about it until you said it just now, Sean, but, God, we, we spent like half a podcast probably a couple weeks ago clamoring about how we're finally going to see Taysom Hill run with the ones in the preseason. <laughs> right. And, like, that's going to be a major storyline, you know, come preseason game number one, should that happen, who's going to start? It's not going to be Breeze, but if it's not Taysom Hill, it's another year of what do we have? You know, what, right. what's there? And so that, that could be pretty frustrating. But uh, we'll save that topic for hopefully August. I do have a question for you real quickly. Um, not having any off-season schedule, two questions. Does it hurt Taysom or does it hurt Jameis more not having an off-season schedule, OTAs, minicamps, stuff like that? And not having preseason games, if they don't have them, to me, that hurts Taysom more because, Sean, we've always talked about this. We would love to see Taysom in the game in preseason playing with the starters, the starters, starting 11, and not coming in in the second quarter and playing with third-string guys. To me, this would have been the year where Taysom would have gotten an opportunity to play more because Breeze doesn't need to play in the preseason games. But we want to see Taysom play with the main guys. So I think that not, if we don't have preseason games this year, we don't know what's going to happen with the whole coronavirus pandemic. If we don't have preseason games, that hurts Taysom. And to see where he's at with this, this, this uh, starting 11, not having an off-season program, I don't know what you think about this, but I think that hurts Jameis more because he can't get up to speed with the football team, get to know his teammates, learn, learn the playbook even more, see how it all works in the field. I think yeah, it hurts I, him. I agree. I'm sorry, go ahead, Hayden. I think it hurts them both in different ways. Um, I agree with Jameis, with your take on Jameis and the fact that it hurts him not being able to get up to speed in the Saints system. But um, one thing that sticks sticks out in my mind is listening to Taysom Hill at training camp last year and how much he enjoys training camp, how much he enjoys practice before the season because that's the time where he gets to be a quarterback. He's primarily in the quarterback room. Come week one of the regular season, he flips the switch. He is the H-back. He's utility man. He's special teams. Yeah. He's tight end. He's everything. 
And so um, this is this is time for Taysom to continue developing his quarterback skills. And we, you know, we heard him say on the conference call, and we've heard it from, you know, I think Peyton as well, that there might be less special teams with him and, and more emphasis on the quarterback. But regardless, um, it's time away from that task. That would be quarterback time for Taysom Hill. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think from an OTA standpoint, Jameis, that would be where he would get the, uh, I guess, the install and start to get the, uh, the, the language is really more than, especially in, in a Peyton offense, that West Coast style, there's a lot of verbiage. I don't know what he had in terms of terminology. Um, and obviously, when you're a quarterback, terminology is everything because you got to communicate everything to everyone else. So you have to know uh, where you're at just in terms of communicating to your teammates. So I think that would hurt a little bit. I think preseason, I agree. I think Taysom is really what I want to see in a game with the first team to see where he's at. And if there's no preseason, that again leaves that – that bit of unknown slash entry with Taysom. Well, maybe he is, maybe he hasn't. We don't really know for sure. What I see from James in the preseason really doesn't tell, won't tell me anything because, as I've said a couple times already, I need to see t- James. James' growth has to come in a game, in a regular yeah. season game, making the right decisions. In Taysom's case, there is still a little bit of an unknown. So if there was no preseason, you don't have at least that box check where he operated with the first team in preseason. I think that still leaves you a little, a little bit of a cliffhanger like, okay, Where's this guy truly at? Yeah. Moving on to Joe Burrow, uh, the news coming on Thursday that Andy Dalton uh, will be released, has been released by the Cincinnati Bengals. So it is Joe Burrow's job to lose up there in Cincinnati. Um, You know, he's one of several first overall pick quarterbacks the last couple of years. It comes with mixed results. It depends on the team you're coming to. But, um, Juan, I'll start with you. What, What do you think the expectations are for a guy like Joe Burrow, um, just off the top of your head, given the fact that he does get some offensive weapons um, in A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon, um, you know, and he's got, you know, the, the national championship experience under him as well. Well, I think, um, you know, I think every team, NFL team, wants to have a guy leading their program that's a winner. And that's all Joe Burrow knows. Uh, he's coming from LSU when the national championship day. He's bringing that mentality into the Cincinnati Bengals locker room. Um, but I think people are, are quick to judge the Bengals based on the record they had last year. We know they were pathetic. They were a bad football team. Andy Dalton continued to have a bit of a slide over the last three, four years of his career. It's time for him to go fresher pastures. Maybe he ends up in New England. Who knows? Maybe Jacksonville. But you look at what they have offensively. Joe Mixon, 1,100 yards rushing last year, second straight 1,000-yard rushing year for him. Um, Tyler Boyd, over 1,000 yards receiving, 90 catches. And then you're going to insert A.J. Green back into the offense. So he's got a three-headed monster there that's that's very talented. That's as good as in that division, and they can be talented. But the NFL is obviously a different animal. Defensively, things are a lot quicker than they were in college. He's got to be a lot better than he was at LSU. But he's got some rope here. He doesn't need to be the best player in the league right away, but they want to see some development over year one to year two to year three and get this team back into the playoffs once again. They haven't been in the playoffs in a long, long time. I just think Cincinnati has more talent than they're given credit for. They had awful quarterback play last year, and it doesn't matter how much talent you have around that quarterback. You don't have a guy who can get the ball to the players and put him, get him in the right position and score points and win games. Then it's not going to go forward. So I think, you know, Will they win six or seven games this year? I think they can in that division. Pittsburgh's not what they used to be. The Browns, you don't know what you're going to get from those guys. Um, so I, I think they can win more games this year. Playoff, probably not. That's probably way too much to ask. But they've got to get better on defense. They were pathetic on defense last year. 
not many difference makers on that team. So I think there's less concern about the offense this year with Joe Burrow coming in because he's got talent around him, and there's more concern about the defense playing better than what they did last year. Yeah, I can recall going to Cincinnati two years ago, uh, and they were at that point, they were leading their division. I remember looking around the stadium feeling like, wow, it is so lifeless here. For a team yeah. that's winning their division, it just that organization really gotten stale over the last couple of years. And, and look, they, they've had some success, uh, you know, with Marvin Lewis over the, the span that he was there. They didn't win a playoff game, but they got to the postseason quite often. Last year was just a dumpster fire, obviously. Rookie head coach um, not having his guy. So Burrow, I think, is a breath of fresh air for that entire organization. Now, with that breath of fresh air becomes, um, you know, expectation slash pressure. I think he's got strong enough shoulders to deal with that. But I will also point out that sometimes instant success for a quarterback is fool's gold, and it's not always the best thing for your career. Sometimes a struggle in your rookie year, sometimes a little bit of a – adversity overcoming and having to grind it out can, can somehow help uh, later down the road. I just think of Peyton Manning, his rookie year. I mean, it was awful. And then all of a sudden uh, he became the player he was. I can think of RG3 back in 2012, phenomenal rookie year. Then obviously his career kind of derailed. So sometimes an a instant success as a rookie quarterback can be, um, can be a little bit of fool's gold. So I think Burrow's going to come in. He's going to be Joe Burrow. He's going to work. We know that. He's got intelligence. He's got the ability to process. This team is better than they think than, than perhaps we think they are in terms of talent. I think they've got, they're, they got more talent than they get credit for. And I think it's going to be a successful season just in terms of probably out, uh, outshining expectations, if you will. So somewhere between six wins to eight wins. I think that's fair. And if there's some rookie mistakes, so be it with Joe Burrow because it's all about seeing it and learning from it. So uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a terrible season for Joe Burrow. I think he's going to have some success. But I, I also, back to my earlier point, I, I just think sometimes a little bit of a struggle in your rookie year for a quarterback, especially one that's taken over the range from day one, can actually be a good thing. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think the, the most recent example of that fool's gold that you bring up would be Baker Mayfield. His rookie mm-hmm. year, he starts 13 games, goes 6-7. and seven. There's 27 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, completed – about 64% of his passes doesn't come close to that as a sophomore, really looked bad at times, took a, a step back. And, you know, the book is still far from being finished on, on Baker Mayfield, but uh, it was a, a perfect example of, you know, kind of that fool's gold. Um, then you look at a guy like uh, Jared Goff, and I know his rookie year, um, that was a lost Rams team. They, they were 0-7 mm-hmm. with golf, five touchdowns to seven interceptions. Um, you know, he was behind Case Keenum for most of that year with the Jeff Fisher team that was really bad. All of a sudden, his second year, he blows up, 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And the year that, I guess, stands out to me, obviously a Super Bowl appearance year for them, but 2018, 32 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, completes almost 65% of his throws the quarterback coach that year, Zach Taylor, Joe mm-hmm. Burrow's coach now in Cincinnati. So maybe that is a sign that I think Taylor obviously knows what he's doing with quarterbacks. Being the head coach, you, you can't spend as much time in that room. You have to be, um, you know, more overseeing than that. And I think that's where Freddie Kitchen struggled with the Browns last year. But maybe that's a sign of, of you know, some good things to come with Burrow. And then you look at a guy like, just for bringing up a number's sake, Andrew Luck. He went into a Colts team that 
um, was a couple years removed from Peyton Manning, still had a lot of those Peyton Manning pieces in place, just not the mm-hmm. quarterback. Andrew Luck comes in, goes 11-5 and five with 23 touchdowns that year. So I think it's, it's all over the place, kind of. It, mm-hmm. it does depend on the pieces around you, but I would say – at least offensively, Burrow has the weapons to support him. It's about how the offensive line performs, and it's about how the defense keeps them in games and, and Burrow not necessarily having to throw 45 times a game just to win them some. Um, but I'd certainly say there is uh, the possibility that Burrow has a solid six to eight to maybe nine win season, just depending on how that division looks too. Yeah, I was looking up some numbers on Andy Dalton. When he came into the league – Back in 2011, almost 3,400 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He leaves the Bengals this year with almost 3,500 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. In between all that, he didn't get much better. And in, we have a football an NFL, an, a league where quarterbacks are throwing for more than 4,500 yards on the regular, the better quarterbacks. He only got over 4,000 yards passing twice in his nine-year career with the Bengals. To me, that tells me he, he underperformed as a quarterback or they tried to be too much, way more balanced with running the football. And I think they do want to be a more balanced football team there and running it with, um, um, you know, with uh, Joe Mixon there. But, again, I think if you look at this offense, I think they have some talent to where they can be better with a better throwing quarterback. And I think in Joe Burrow, I think you have that uh, coming into Cincinnati. Again, will they make the playoffs this year? I, I wouldn't expect that but I think they can be more competitive in the league. I think it's what their fans are looking for uh, as a team that can be more competitive and give themselves a chance to win every weekend, especially in that division. And again, I, well, the division is a good point because I think Pittsburgh is going to be back to Pittsburgh this year with Roethlisberger back. Baltimore is obviously going to be Baltimore. Yeah. And I think Cleveland, I mean, my gosh, they had a ton of picks, it felt like, and they, they've always got talent. It's just a matter of putting it all together and can, yeah. you know, Stefanski be that guy. But I just think more than anything else, and like I alluded to it earlier, that organization, that fan base, there's a little bit of here we go again. There's a little bit of we deserve to be in, in, this, yeah. in the, the, the lower rings of the NFL. I think Burrow is not going to stand for that. He is all – I mean, that guy has got some swag. He's got some confidence. He's not going to allow uh, his team, how, depending on how quickly he ascends to the leadership role, to, to believe that sort of negativity. So that, to me, is going to be huge just in the pivot in that franchise because I believe it can happen with a player like Burrow. Look what he did at LSU. <sighs> It was always, oh, here we go with the LSU offense. And lo and behold, yeah. and he was like, you know, no way. I'm the, I'm, we're not doing that. So um, I do think from an intangible standpoint, from just a mental standpoint, hopefully he can pivot sort of the uh, – just the aura around the organization because it just – it was really funky. And that was well, – when they were winning, they were – like I said, they were number one in the division at that point. So I think from that standpoint, hopefully he makes a big impact. Do you think they have to change the offense for Burrow a little bit, tweak it a little bit, like LSU had to do it for them? I don't know. I, I think, I think yeah, – Go ahead. I, I, think, uh, I think Burrow is pretty adaptable. I think he's a guy yeah. that can, can play under center. I think he's a guy that can play the pro-style offense. I, I do think he's one, obviously, we saw with LSU, can go yeah. five wide, hurry up. Um, I think his decision-making and his accuracy – um, as a coach gives you a lot more confidence that if you go five wide and, or, or in some of these spread out formations and you, you make him make quick decisions, um, fit the ball in the tight spaces, hit the underneath routes, hit routes over the middle, um, you have a little more confidence in doing that just because of, of Joe Burrow's ability. Um, so I would say he, he, would, he should fit well. And, again, when you mention Mixon's running ability and the fact that um, 
you know, he's a, he's a running back that's capable of having a thousand yard season. That, that means Burrow doesn't have to come in and have all of the weight on his shoulders. I think when you look at some of these rookie quarterbacks of the past, um, they don't have that. You look at, you know, Kyler Murray last year, they didn't get a running game until halfway through the year when they got Kenyon Drake in Arizona. So the better that the, the pieces around him are, the better I think Joe Burrow will be. I think Joe Burrow, um, what a coach is going to fall in love with, with his, uh, what his new head coach is going to like about him uh, is, and this is going to translate, you mentioned it, uh, the ability to process and his accuracy on the field, his ability to make good decisions in quick time. We did a film study on this right before the national championship game, how quickly he processes. And this was not against Rice. This was not against La Tech. This was against Alabama. Nick Saban, the master of disguising coverages, how quickly he was able to decipher and make those decisions and deliver with pinpoint accuracy. If you build your offense through the mental capability and accuracy of Joe Burrow, in the long run, you will be fine. I think in the long run, he's going to be a very, very good quarterback uh, in Cincinnati. How quickly the success comes, it's probably going to be a little bit like 2018 with him where maybe it started a little slow, and then by the end of the year, he really started clicking the last four or five games, 2018 with the LSU. That could be a, a similar scenario with the Bengals, but – um, away they go with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati because I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be there for a long time. I think the Bengals are like the Browns in that the the here we go again mentality is something they have to overcome. You know, it's something mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's got to overcome, and he has to realize going in, I'm going to hear this. If we start out 0 2, it's going to be oh here we go again. And one, I mean, he has to be able to overcome that mental part of the game and be able to carry though and inject his winning mentality. He has to be the voice of that locker room. It cannot be A.J. Green. It cannot be um, uh, Joe Mixon. It's got to be Joe Burrow because he has to win the locker room over. Being number one pick gives you, obviously, street cred, but he needs to go on, on the field and show that this is why I'm here. This is why I'm the number one pick. And if you follow my lead, we can get out of this ho-hum mentality. Here we go again mentality. Same thing in Cleveland. We won't believe Cleveland until they actually do it. All these moves and all these picks they've made, they've, they've gotten good players, hasn't all come together. And I don't think anybody's going to believe that the Browns can challenge for anything in their division, much less make it to a Super Bowl, for heaven's sakes, if they don't do it until they do it. So I think the same thing with Cincinnati. But it's going to take a little bit longer, I think, in, in Cincinnati's case. Uh, but with Burrow leading the way, I think his mentality, his I want to win now mentality, they haven't had that in a while in a quarterback. Um, and it's a fresh start. That's the biggest thing for them. They needed a fresh start at that position. I think this is really interesting, borderline hilarious, before we wrap this thing up. The Tommy Stevens back and forth that was written about, uh, Jeff Duncan of Fox 8 and the Athletic detailed it, just um, the back and forth between the Saints, Tommy Stevens and his agent, and then the Panthers trying to get him. Uh, They were going to honor the commitment to the Panthers, even though the Saints offered more money forcing the Saints to trade back into the draft and select Tommy Stevens. Um, It was a competitive back and forth between Peyton and the offensive coordinator in Carolina, now Joe Brady. Uh, Peyton even sending him a text, I believe, to the tune of not so fast. (laughs) We're going to take Tommy Stevens. To me, it's a case of, um, honestly, maybe boredom. Like, you're in the house. There's not much competitive (laughs) juices flowing. Um, you're in this draft and all of a sudden, like, this is something to have fun with moderately low stakes, I guess, just trading a sixth round pick, something the saints typically don't use or a a pick they may not even retain or something they typically use to trade up into the draft. 
Um, so maybe it's a risk slash reward slash we really want this guy. Um, but it, it was, to me, hearing about it, very entertaining that um, Peyton not only makes this move, Mickey Loomis and, and Jeff Ireland not only make this move, but then communicate with the Panthers about it that we did it, we're taking him, we did it. So, such a Sean Payton story. Such a Sean Payton story. Um, and kudos to Jeff for getting that. Um, I, I think it became a little bit of a – not just the player, it was the team, and in particular the assistant coach he was going up against. This was a guy I groomed, one of my uh, guys I helped get to where he's at, and now he's, now he's with a rival. I've got to basically show him who's boss a little bit. I'm going to go in and I'm going to get this kid, Tommy Stevens, and – uh, he makes the deal. And if you know the history of the Saints and the Sean Payton in the sixth round, it is the dead round. I'm not sure a single sixth-round pick has ever touched the field. Uh, I think Saquon Hampton might have played a little bit last year on special teams. That's pretty much it. It is the dead round. So compensation is minor. Uh, they've actually had more success in seventh-round picks than they have yeah. sixth-round picks. But, look, I think it's it goes to show you that, hey, Payton can still be a little petty sometimes. B, he still likes to uh, – uh, when he wants his guy and there's a you know, competitive situation, he's going to do what he has to do to get it. Uh, the fact that he basically said, no, I'm not losing out on him. What would have been an undrafted free agent just goes to show you. And I, I kind of agree with you a little bit. Maybe he was a little bit bored. Maybe it was just a little bit that kind of soaked the competitive fire a little bit. But I got to tell you, I've gone through the Tommy Stevens film. I didn't realize how diverse he was. I didn't really follow him that much in Penn State. So I went back and looked at his Penn State tape. This dude is everywhere, tailback, H-back, slot receiver, tight end, quarterback. So I can understand why Peyton was attracted to that skill set. But the, the, move, the way he went about going to get him, it's just vintage Peyton. You know, I was, before you started talking, Sean, the first thing that came to my mind was something you just said, petty. That is exactly <laughs> what this thing is, the one word, petty. And also, I think it's just Sean Payton saying, look, we see all the success you had at LSU as a quarterback coach. Say you were fantastic. This is a different league now. This is my division, not <laughs> yours. You, you got to climb to where I am, son. Slow your roll. Stay in your lane. My question with, uh, with uh, Trevor Stevens, this offseason of having nothing, does, it, does he survive that and still make it into the quarterback room and make it onto the practice squad? I don't know. If he doesn't, are the Panthers – Joe Brady's saying, you know what, that's okay. We'll bring him on over here so we win in the end. I mean, it's going to be a back-and-forth thing, and I'm sure that Brady was smiling when he got that text from Sean Payton. I'm sure Sean Payton was dying laughing when he sent the text to Joe Brady. Um, but, yeah, petty is the one word that comes to mind when it's something like this. This is typical Sean Payton, and I agree. This is a guy that's been very, very friendly and very, very out there with nothing to do during this offseason, mm -hmm. during the pandemic virus. And he was like, how can I make some headlines once again? And this is how he – did it so I thought it was pretty comical uh resting over a guy that that may not make either roster um but uh it doesn't surprise that Sean Payton did this, especially with so much time on his hands I think he's got to make the team now yeah I mean at least have an inside track to make the team now I mean to, to divulge the story to Jeff um to, to go this far to get him I mean if you put him on a practice squad the Panthers might snatch him up so I think he's got to make the team now or at least have a had to do a lot to not make the team so um, so you have a four-four quarterback locker room? Well, I, I don't 
don't think he. I don't think he. I don't I think, you make, think he makes it. Maybe a special teams guy. Right. Or I think like that. he's a special right. team. H, he's going to be an H back, F back type. He. I don't. If he plays quarterback, it'll be just sprinkled in every now and then. He is now. He yeah. does not have the the long term belief that Taysom yeah. has. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a true quarterback ever in this league. The thing about Tommy Stevens is you just got to you got to get him on the roster um, and have the space for him, which mm-hmm. with uh, more roster spots, you can do that. But um, that that's the challenge. You, you've got to be able yeah. to find somewhere else to use it because otherwise, yeah, carrying four quarterbacks is ridiculous. That's, you know, another spot for a defensive back or depth on offensive or defensive line. Um, anywhere, honestly, there's, there's more places to have depth, more places to have talented depth, but um, the, the, the just weird thing with me with Stevens came the next day when you signed Jameis Winston. I thought that if Taysom was truly going to be the number two, then you could transition Stevens into some of Taysom's role. That way you're not putting him at risk as much. You're not risking injuring your true number two quarterback, Taysom Hill, playing special teams and, you know, all these other utility spots. But now that you add Jameis – you know, it feels like Jameis is the insurance <clears throat> policy. Jameis is the guy to step in that, uh, if Breeze were to get hurt, not Taysom. So now you've got two Taysom Hills. You've got a backup Taysom Hill. That's only if you believe you are deep enough in other places and have the roster spots in other places to afford to carry Tommy Stevens. That's the only way I think he makes a team. But at yeah. the same time, image-wise <laughs> and for the sake of, like, actually <laughs> keeping him from the Panthers, <laughs> he's got to make the team. Uh, so we'll yeah, see. Well, we'll, we'll see. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. But again, I, I know that everyone has their feelings about not having the offseason programs, but this is the reason why I wish we had it because we can kind of see the development of some of these players, including the undrafted free agent guys who are coming in, like an Adrian McGee. I mean, how are they progressing? How are they going to be? I, I would like to be in the Saints locker room, Saints coaching room, to, to understand how they're going to be assessing these players not being able to see these players play. I'll be able to see how much they take in the, 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 the playbook. Um, things that happen in the OTAs and the mini camps, those, those evaluation sessions going on on a daily basis. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's an interesting offseason for a lot of teams. Um, I think the Saints have obviously less questions than every other NFL team does. So maybe these undrafted free agent guys, most of them don't stick anyway uh, because of the depth of the roster. But I would still would like to know how they evaluate these players going forward here. With, that, with no on-field time. Well, I'll leave it right there with this, that I do think it sounds like from, from hearing Peyton talk, from hearing Jeff Ireland on another podcast speak, um, they really went into the evaluation, <clears throat> pinpointing guys that learned quickest, that made the least amount of mental errors, that had the best FBI, as they call it, football IQ. Um, I think that's that was a big part of the process. So um, I think that's why they went after some of these guys and that's what they hope saves them from you know the lack of learning that would otherwise go on in OTAs and minicamp um that will not happen so we will see how this plays out we'll um you know debate more of this offseason talk I think we're on the verge of several leagues several other sports um starting mm-hmm. to come back reopen facilities NASCAR. start to practice again you got NASCAR you got the if NBA you ain't rubbing you ain't racing baby We'll definitely leave that for another podcast. For now, that's going to do it for us. For Sean Fazand and Juan Kincaid, I'm Chris Hagan. Before we let you guys go, a quick request and reminder, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, 
tell your friends, help you help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on the final play app, the tiger huddle app. We're all on Facebook. We're all on Twitter. We're all on Instagram. We love the questions. We love the content for now. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on overtime. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.